You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the Jets Nation Podcast, we're going to look at the most recent road trip for the Jets, the injuries that have been plaguing the team, and we're going to talk Seattle expansion. All right, so let's start with the road trip, Kyle. Four games out east, four wins, and a lot of injuries. The Jets battling through. We've seen some collapses. We've seen some comebacks. A little bit of everything on this road trip. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a backpedal a little bit. They actually started this winning streak uh, when the Blackhawks visited um, earlier. So they had that one win at home, and then they go on the road for a, a three-game trip out east playing in New York or New Jersey, New York, and Brooklyn, New York, um, all that sort of area. So the Jets go in and they they win those first two games, uh, being an overtime and a shootout against the Devils and the Rangers, and then uh, beat the Islanders on a, a late push in the third period. But a great road trip for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, going 3-0, and uh, that East Coast swing. Maybe a little bit easier than a West Coast swing, um, but there's always those types of road trips. It's always tough to win or specifically sweep those types of road trips. I have been in denial about the Winnipeg Jets' collapses. Uh, I've been talking to uh, my wife's uncle, so my uncle-in-law. He's kind of was a little bit down on the Jets when we met him for an early Christmas gathering. He was saying the Jets always collapse in the third period. It's just the way it is. There have been a lot of concerns about it this year. I was kind of slow to get on the bandwagon of the collapse in the third period. And it's, we've seen it a bunch where they have to have a pretty big lead in order to kind of stave off the comeback. Because I think in that Chicago game, the Blackhawks started coming back. I think they scored two goals to make it close in the third period. Then against the New Jersey Devils, uh, again, the Winnipeg Jets uh, with the lead. The Devils tied it up, and then the Jets had to win in overtime. Mark Scheifele playing the hero there. It's kind of a story that's become too familiar. We haven't seen it a lot in years past of third period collapses it's kind of been the other way around at times. But are you concerned at all? Because my fear index, your 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 favorite stat of when it comes to goalies, has been high in regards to third periods. I start to get fearful when the games get close late. Yeah, no, it's definitely an issue. And I'm concerned about it as well. When you look at last year, I think the Jets, when they were leading after two periods, were 42-1-1 one one, or, or something to that effect. Just an outrageous stat. Uh, it was very, very few losses for all throughout the whole season. Uh, Regardless, I believe we've seen it at least five times already this season. And it's not just one goal leads. Like you said, it's been two goal leads. I think a three goal lead thrown in there as well. A game uh, game against Toronto uh, in late October rings a bell. is one of the first ones that was kind of that downfall. Um, But it's been happening far too often. I think one of the issues for the Jets is the way they're allocating their ice time. The fourth line hasn't been getting much ice time since the start of the season. I think a lot of times the top lines get tired um, because they've been playing a lot of minutes, and, and the fourth line, you're essentially only running three lines in the third period. But the because, fourth line has been getting scored on too. Well, yeah, and, and that's the other thing. There's that trust issue. You have to earn that trust from Paul Maurice, but I think when you're running only three lines trying to protect a lead and you're having to defend and defend and defend, that those extra set of bodies on the fourth line could easily give you a little bit of jump, but Paul Maurice isn't playing them. Bring back Matt Hendricks. <laughs> well, you could argue that, but well, I know, I'm, and I'm just kidding. 
before everybody stops listening to the podcast and turns it off. Of course, I'm just kidding. But there is something to be said about uh, the fourth line the Winnipeg Jets had last year. There is trust in it. A lot of people on Twitter hated it and laughed at it, are glad to see Rozovic getting a shot on the fourth line. And we've seen some different line combinations lately uh, because of injuries and with different opportunities. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But the Winnipeg Jets then coming back, down 3 nothing against the Rangers, uh, winning the game in a shootout 4-3, scoring three goals in the third. They were down one nothing to the Islanders on Tuesday. They scored to tie it, scored again right after, then added the empty net. The Jets uh, are getting more production out of Nick Ehlers, which is great to see. I really like the line of uh, Little, Connor, and Line. I don't know if it's just been me, and I haven't seen a ton of games uh, recently. I've been pretty busy over the last couple of weeks. Got a chance to see most of the Islanders game on Tuesday. Is it just my perception, eye test, or is Line hustling more? Uh, he definitely is. Yeah, and so, okay, I wasn't sure if it was just me or maybe it was just, I always remembered him as just kind of floating around, but it seems like he's been hustling more. I don't know what's causing this drive or this motivation, but I like it. I think it's specifically on the back checks and in the defensive zone. Or even in the forecheck, like on the forecheck, I've seen him, it seems like he's hustling more. He drove the net once. There was two plays where he came in on the rush. He drove it to the net. I'm like, what's he doing? He's not stopping up and popping a shot, kind of like a guy on the NBA would just kind of pop a jumper. He's actually taken it to the net. He was passing a couple times in front. They both missed, and the chances went by the wayside, so maybe you could argue he should have taken the shot, but he's changing it up a little. He's not just a one-trick pony. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it kind of harkens back to when he played with Lowry and Tanev for those few games, uh, just with a little bit of shuffling by Paul Maurice, uh, Andrew Kopp centering that fourth line for just a handful of games. It, it was kind of in a bed to get line A going, because at that time, I think he only had three goals on the season in the first 12, 13, 14 games. So they were moving line A around, if you remember that, in October or early uh, before he kind of had that breakout in November. So he was learning to play with Lowry and Tanev, and those guys are very much hustle players, right? When, when they play, Tanev specifically draws an outrageous number of penalties because he's fast, because he wants the puck, because he's tenacious on the forecheck. That's just what he does. Adam Lowry's similar, but maybe of more of a defensive mindset where he's always back. He's always hard on guys. He's winning those puck battles. He's taking the puck hard to the net. Those types of values get instilled on line A from playing with those guys over a few games. And I think you can see a noticeable difference, especially in the defensive end, line A back checking. Um, he, he's making defensive plays. He's getting his stick in, in the right lanes. He looks so much better in his own zone after that little um, couple of games with, with Low Lowry and Tanev. Whether if that was it, great. If not, I don't know what it is. Either way, I'm happy to see him hustling a little bit more and uh, glad to see that change in his game. Is he going to score more as a result? Hopefully, he had a pretty good tear in November doing what he was doing. We'll have to see if he can keep this going. Jets now at home for a couple of games, taking on the Blues, the Flyers, the Blackhawks, and then uh, the Oilers as well before they head back out onto the road. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add here in segment number one before we start looking at injuries? No, that's pretty much it. The road trip was great for the Jets. Four-game winning streak, got to keep it going at home now. That's the now. longest actually of the season. Yeah, exactly. So now you got to keep it rolling. You got a fairly favorable uh, matchups coming in, coming into town. Like you said, the Blues, uh, the Jets have owned the Blues so far this season. Uh, remember back to the last time we played the Blues, Patrick Laine absolutely demolishing them, winning Christopher Haley $1 million. Maybe we see another million dollar payout um, on Friday. But regardless, the Flyers, the Blackhawks, the Oilers, these are all non-playoff teams or at least not playing like playoff teams right now. So it's definitely four winnable games 
if you can knock these four in a row and an eight game winning streak, you're pushing into Buffalo territory there. So <laughs> that's hard to believe. It, it's a great way to kind of head into the holiday season if you can knock off a few more games and kind of go in on, on a good last ten games into the Christmas season. Yes, let's be more like Buffalo said no one in a very very long time. Uh, some other teams on winning streak: the Ducks have won five in a row, Coyotes have won four in a row. I'm excited to see the Coyotes playing a little bit better this year. Not quite dead last in the Pacific Division. Although they're going to be coming over to the Central, and we're going to talk more on that a and little bit later by, in the podcast. By rookie goaltender Aiden Hill uh, coming out of nowhere. I think he has a 977 save percentage in the last week. Just I'm going to go right now numbers. to pick him up in fantasy hockey Just before this next segment. Just outrageous numbers for for the young kid uh, coming up. So yeah, definitely some teams. I think the Maple Leafs are on a big win streak as well, getting Nylander back. Um, so there's many many stories around the league we can follow. Uh, but we want to head into the Winnipeg Jets and all their injuries going on in this next segment. All right, so for segment number two, take a look at the MASH unit. That is the Winnipeg Gents defense, but even the offense as well, suffering a couple of injuries. Adam Kopp has kind of been in and out of the lineup. Adam Kopp. How about his brother Andrew? <laughs> his brother Andrew Kopp. Uh, I actually have a Kopp jersey, and so that's really bad that I uh, screwed that one up. But I was thinking Adam Lowry. I was looking at Adam Lowry's name, so that's why I screwed that one up. But Andrew Kopp uh, playing on the line with Lowry and Tanev. Perot's been kind of in his spot, and so then that means that the fourth line looks a little bit different. Jack Roslevic, he's been playing with Lemieux and Appleton in the most recent look. Uh, it's great to see Appleton getting a shot here in the NHL. I always like to see players getting their first crack at the NHL. The excitement, the energy and trying to make the club. It's always an exciting time. But It's interesting seeing Appleton kind of leapfrog Patan as well. Patan sitting in the press box right now. Appleton comes up uh, not even into a press box role, but gets straight into the action. So Lemieux and Appleton now playing ahead of Patan, where we saw Patan playing ahead of specifically Lemieux last week. So it's it's kind of a, a carousel of sorts on the fourth line and in the press box for Paul Maurice just rotating these guys in and out. I wonder what all of these Patan lovers on Twitter are saying. I haven't been checking out what they've been saying too well, much you, lately. You can imagine. Oh, so. I can imagine. And I try and stay off sometimes just because of... You can imagine, again, for most of you who've been on there, you kind of have a good idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, but I don't know what... I, I don't know what the ideal combination is. Maybe it's Patan with Roslovic and Appleton. The well, Jets at well, least they were have been... actually a combo for the Moose. If you remember back to, I believe, his last season a little bit, two years ago, I think for sure as well. Um, it was those three guys playing very well together. There's some numbers, I think, when they were a trio together, I th- I believe the Moose went 12-0-1 in a stretch, and each of them had 15, 16 points in those games. So in a small sample size, granted against AHL competition, the patan roslevic appleton line was actually very successful in their time together. These players have impressed me at times, but there's also been times where they haven't. And so I think for each of those players, especially Lemieux hasn't, but even Roslevic, and I haven't seen enough of Appleton yet to really form an opinion, but there's been times where, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this guy's, I'm glad he's on the fourth line. This is going to be a good fourth line. And then there's other times where I'm like, ooh, this fourth line, I don't know what it needs, but it needs a little something, something. And so we'll have to see. There's not as many injuries up front. Uh, for the Winnipeg Jets right now because Patan is a healthy uh, cop, really being the only one out of the lineup. It's the defense that has really taken a hit. Yeah, you mentioned the defenders taking a hit. Well, it's not just one guy. Well, it started out as one guy. If you remember back uh, a while ago, it was Dmitry Kulikov as kind of the only casualty, which was totally fine for the Winnipeg Jets. Sammy Niku was called up originally. I believe he spent almost three weeks in the press box because everybody else was healthy. Um, that being said things change very quickly. And we saw Dustin Bufflin, a um, little bit of a 
controversy in regards to the concussion protocol, um, leaving the game, going back into the game, and then being diagnosed the next day with a concussion. So definitely some issues. We, we might get into that a little bit later on. I really don't know exactly what's all included in the protocol, but I think they need to change something. Or maybe they just don't have the technology or the wherewithal to fully diagnose one in the moment. But something obviously needs to be remedied here. And we're not going to get into this in great detail right now. Yeah, regardless. Uh, Joe Morrow also went down around the same time. And then uh, the last but uh, maybe the most important injury was Josh Morrissey actually right before the Islanders game he was projected to play um, had played an absolute ton of minutes in New Jersey and against the Rangers uh, I believe he was over 29 minutes of ice time in the game against the Devils I think he was near that again against the Rangers just obviously the clear-cut number one defenseman for the Winnipeg Jets was Josh Morrissey on that road trip and then he goes down just before warm-ups, or just after warm-ups, and Nelson Noje comes in making his first appearance as a Jet this season. So the Jets absolutely ravaged with injuries, uh, only having three NHLers being Truba, Myers, and Sherratt. The other guys coming from the Manitoba Moose being Sammy Niku, like I mentioned. Uh, Cam Schilling made his appearance, and Nelson Noje as well. You knew it was going to come. You always battle injuries. Every team does. It's just expected. It's how you can overcome those injuries and how the guys can come up and fill in roles. But that's four NHL caliber defensemen with injury. Two of the best defensemen on the Winnipeg Jets. I would argue the two best for the Winnipeg Jets in Bufflin and Morrissey. Morrow and Kulikov, I think, are kind of borderline defenders. But still, those are guys who would be filling in normally when Buff and Morrissey are out. So the pairings have been Truba with Niku, which isn't a bad pairing. I don't mind that as a pairing. We've got Sherratt and Noje. To me, Sherratt's kind of a borderline defender. Now he's supposed to be the veteran playing with the rookie Noje. Then there's Cam Schilling. And then there's Tyler Myers. And so Tyler Myers, again, he's had his issues this year. And we've talked about them. We kind of did a whole segment on just Tyler Myers' issues and some of his uh, jumping up into the rush. And then Cam Schilling, uh, here's a guy who I never thought was going to be a Winnipeg Jet. I thought there was Tucker Pullman, who's also out with injury for the Manitoba Moose. And I thought there was enough guys ahead of him that we weren't really ever going to see Cam Schilling. But now he's getting a fairly regular shift in the NHL. Good for him. Uh, Wish him all the best. And I'm glad that these players are playing good enough. Sometimes it's almost good when you get guys like this into the lineup. They're not trying to do too much. They're trying to play a simple game, basically trying to get in, get out, unscathed, don't do anything dumb. And sometimes a simple game like that can almost be better. If you can skate, if you can keep up the pace and play a simple game, it can keep you afloat, especially if you've got an offense like the Jets. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned those pairings. Well, they were very fluid pairings, especially in the first couple of games uh, because Morrissey and Truba was the top pairing playing 28-29 minutes. The other four defense just kind of rotated through. I believe Sammy Niku only had, I think it was seven or eight minutes in, in that first game. Um, but Tyler Myers played a ton as well. So it was essentially Morrissey, Truba, Myers, and then the rest of them. And now in this last game against uh, against the Islanders, now that Morrissey was out, the the ice time for those three Moose defenders really different. Uh, Nelson Noje had just over ten minutes. Sammy Niku had just over nineteen minutes of ice time. A far cry from his seven minutes a game before. And Cam Schilling had fourteen and a half minutes. So a lot of minutes for all three of these guys. And like you said, you all just have to to pitch in because that's the only option at this point. You, you kind of let your offense take over and you you, you make the simple plays. Uh, one thing I was going to mention is. 
maybe it's good for the Winnipeg Jets to have these types of guys in there. Uh, I know a lot of times in my own life, my own sports playing, um, a lot of times when you have guys who aren't as experienced in the lineup, in whatever sport you're playing, the team kind of rallies around that and tries to make their lives a little bit easier. I've seen that in my own life as well. If you're playing basketball, you have one guy who's maybe a little bit new to the team or not as experienced, you'll help him out a little bit more. You're you're going to stay a little bit closer to him rather than just letting him fend for himself. And I think the Winnipeg Jets did that against the Islanders playing a, a fairly solid defensive game because everybody was pitching in to help rather than if you see Dustin Bufflin back there, oh, it's Bufflin, he's fine leave him kind of high and dry behind the net. And specifically, I think with Tyler Myers as well, oh, it's Tyler Myers. Okay, he's an NHL defenseman. That's fine. You can leave him. Well, now he's he was serving up those turnovers, but maybe may, playing a more simple style or guys are helping him out more with these Manitoba Moose defensemen in there. Just kind of what I thought as I was watching these games. And I've definitely thought that too when backup goalies have gone in in the past, that the defense and the overall team defense appears to be more developed when there's a backup goalie in the net because I don't know if they're more fearful, they don't have the same confidence, or I don't know what the attitude is, but it seems like sometimes there's more team defense when there's a backup goalie in play. I don't know if that's what's happened with Laurent Brossois this year, but it's just something that I've noticed in years past. I haven't really thought about it as much this season, but it's kind of along the same line. That pretty much covers injuries. Haven't seen too much on the goalie side of things, knock on wood, just yet. And again, really, as far as major injuries up front, just a few minor ones to the third and fourth line. Uh, so that kind of does it. Um, as far as injuries go, we're now going to head into the final segment, which is going to be kind of interesting, looking at the NHL expansion. All right, so it was just announced this last week. The big news, Seattle will be getting an NHL team. The Seattle Totems will be joining the NHL in the 21-22 season. Kyle, you think they're going to be called the Totems? I, Any, do, uh, I word? do not think that. <laughs> uh, there's been a bunch of speculation. Uh, I've heard the Kraken was one of them. That was one I actually liked a lot. Uh, I think you can have a lot of fun with that logo. The Kraken That sort of thing. Um, or just Seattle Kraken. Just Kraken. What's Kraken? Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of fun <laughs> you can do with this. Um, it's always interesting to see naming these teams. I remember the speculation with the Golden Knights and what they're going to do, uh, their logos and, and colors and all that sort of thing. So it's always going to be interesting. Whenever you get a new team, what their identity will be. And it, we just have to wait to find out. I think it could be a long time before we're actually finding out what this team's called. But uh, people are pointing to something to do with the oceans, the coast, that sort of thing. Uh, I've heard the rain as well. Um, that sort of thing I like. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But I think they could have a lot of fun with this. Seattle Sonics. Thoughts? Maybe <laughs> Super Sonics. Ooh, you're throwing a little Super. That makes it a little extra exciting. Yeah, harking back to the good old days. <laughs> Seattle, uh, let's go Seahawks, maybe? Maybe the Sounders? Man, so many options. Just ripping off from all these other sports teams. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, ideas that they've kind of already put forward. Still not going to be, still going to be a while uh, before they pick a name. But I heard somebody... Uh, I saw somebody comment online about watering down the league, adding another team, and the NHL doesn't benefit, or what does the NHL benefit from this? I think there's a huge benefit. One, they get the $600 million purchase price, which gets split up among the other teams, correct? As far as, I'm con as, far as I know? Yeah, it's uh, some stipulations. It doesn't belong to the hockey-related revenue, uh, so that won't impact the cap or anything like that. Um, but yes, I believe there is some compensations for the teams for that. So there's that. 
uh, just with another team coming in that's probably going to be exciting. It's probably going to be making money, especially for the first number of years. Uh, that's obviously more hockey-related revenue for the NHL, which will help out with the cap. Um, I think it's good to have 32 teams. It's an even number. I like even numbers personally. To me, it just makes sense. You have 16 in the West, 16 in the East. There's another team right on the coast. It just balances everything. To have one division have more teams than all the other divisions or some of the other divisions, to me, doesn't make sense. I'm glad that there's going to be another team to balance. I think you don't want any more than 32, personally. I think that's plenty. If you are going to be adding another team in another city, move a team. At this point, 32 is the max. I don't think there's any other professional league in North America with more than 32, is there? No, and I think that is the limit, like you said, because it, it does give you the nice even number. Um, I think 32 is your limit, or else it gets maybe a little bit too congested. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, there's a big series going on at The Athletic right now talking about the future of the NHL and the future of hockey in general, and potentially could we see um, some leagues merge if they want to do a huge expansion, there was talk of having a global Stanley Cup playing teams of other leagues. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see just picturing hockey 50 years from now what that looks like, specifically in North America in the NHL. But regardless, for now, 32 is, I think, your limit. And exactly like you said, if you're moving any other teams around, it's going to be taking from one fan base, moving it to another, uh, similar to what we saw for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and I have no problem taking the game global I just prefer the Stanley Cup as the North American NHL trophy. Let's keep it at that. Maybe adding other tournaments. I don't really know. It's just kind of a foreign concept to me because I don't follow soccer in the same way as maybe some fans do and with all the different league winners playing each other. But right now, like in soccer... Yes, you have most of the best players going to Europe, but the best players are kind of spread out among some of the different leagues, correct? If you, yeah, you're more so, of a soccer fan. Yeah, soccer is fantastic for that um, because the Champions League, which is where you have all these teams from all these leagues, it's one of the, the biggest events in soccer. Because not only are you playing teams within your own division, so you have multiple teams from the best leagues all around the world, um, specifically in Europe, but you have teams from England, Spain, um, Italy. You have all these great teams, teams from Russia, uh, the Netherlands, all these great countries getting together and having one giant tournament who is the best of the best. And it's just a phenomenal time for soccer fans. I know everybody loves watching Champions League. It would just be interesting if that could work in the NHL. And obviously in Champions League, it's interesting because you might think the NHL teams are so much better than the other teams across the KHL, the, the Liga, things like that. You would maybe argue that in soccer as well, that Real Madrid, Barcelona are way better than the teams from the Netherlands, from Russia, but somehow it's always close and it always makes for an interesting um, event. So I think that would be fantastic to see down the road could this potentially work? Could it get fans excited and make and it a more NHL global game? An NHL team would crush a team from Liga. Like, it wouldn't even be close. Like, the best Liga players, the best of the best, come over here and are like third liners, generally. Yeah, there's sometimes some young players who come over here and can be stars, but there's maybe one or two. You take the Winnipeg Jets and you take a team from Liga, the Jets should be winning every one in a best of seven. Like, that should be a sweep. It should be no contest. Maybe some teams in the KHL, I think, could make it close because I think the KHL is definitely considered the next best. But if you take, like, an NHL team against an AHL team, there's a significant difference. And you take an NHL team against a team, I think, from one of those European leagues, the guys who are done in the NHL go play there in the Europe. So there's obviously 
a difference right now. Yeah, there and, need and to I agree. Some changes. And there's that in soccer too. But it is, sometimes the games are close, and generally you do have the best teams winning. And obviously you're going to have that. It makes sense. But it, it makes for an interesting event where you can get some surprises. You can get some Cinderella teams who thought Vegas was going to make the Stanley Cup Finals. Nobody. They're they're it's just true. picking there's, up broken yeah, pieces. So I think you might just have some some fun ideas. Could it work is kind of my thought, maybe more so than it would work. So getting off track of what I actually wanted to talk about, if the win- if they add, when they add Seattle, is this going to water down the league? I say no. I think there's enough players right now in the NHL that are borderline that if everybody gives up one mediocre player, which is what happened last time with Vegas, and then eventually Vegas slowly just gets a few superstars here and there through trades, through drafts, through signings, it didn't water down the league in my opinion. I feel there's so much talent coming in. Even a little bit of watering down might help. Because I personally am not a fan of the parody right now. I know some people are. They love a team can win on any given night. But I like having elite teams. I like seeing a team dominate and wax the floor with the competition. And I like having a couple of elite teams every season. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, I would agree. I don't think it will be much of a problem because like we've said before, it's so close between those bubble players, right? So a lot of bubble players for the Winnipeg Jets could potentially be third, fourth liners on other teams. Could a third liner on one team be a first liner on on another team? And that's what Vegas found out. Was Marcia so a number one guy in Florida? Not quite. Was he when he got to Vegas? Well, guaranteed, 100%. There's all these guys that suddenly emerged. And yes, they also got some good teams you can sign free agents, things like that. But there's a lot of guys who maybe just need a second chance. Or need more minutes. Or just need more minutes. There's a lot of different situations. Right, exactly. So I don't think it'll water down the league as much as it'll be good for the league to um, add another team. And for the players, I mean, it's 20 more jobs for them, right? So it's great for the players. It's great for the AHL. It's more than that, but yeah. Yeah, it's great for players in the AHL, guys coming over, maybe a little bit bigger of a draw um, for guys coming to North America. There's more opportunities for them, things like that. But I think it won't be um, affecting the level of play in the NHL at all. Can they do what Vegas did? No. Can you manufacture that again? Stanley Cup, here we come. First season, Seattle. That's their biggest challenge, to be honest, because managing expectations. Everybody's expecting them in the first year to for sure be in the playoffs. Because not only did Vegas make the playoffs, they were run away with their division. They destroyed everybody in the playoffs, made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, and was a Braden Holtby glove save away from taking it almost the distance. Maybe this is just the new normal for expansion teams, because not not necessarily Cup Final, but being competitive and in the playoffs for a season because you could, it's a completely clean slate. And because of the depth we just talked about, you get really good players that are left unprotected from these teams. And we're going to go over the Winnipeg Jets in just a moment. I hope we have time to cover it, but it might be the new normal because you can pick and you can customize, you can take salary of players and to take a couple bad contracts to get more future considerations like there's so many things you can do they really set it up in a way to help the team but I feel last time the Winnipeg Jets got a really good benefit when they went through the process we lost Chris Thorburn and we traded I think it was Nick Suzuki for Christian Veselainen we moved down in the draft got Veselainen instead of Suzuki which neither one is we still don't know what's that that's going to look like so the Jets in my opinion won they escaped completely unscathed. Now, a lot of teams, some obviously hurt more than others, but do you think there's going to be as many trades, more or less? 
teams are going to approach this differently. And I think they have to because there's a lot of teams who gave up an awful lot um, to Vegas. And thinking specifically of Florida, uh, Minnesota, some of those teams gave up a lot for essentially nothing or, or for fears more than anything. I think teams who got burnt the first time by Vegas are going to be a lot more careful what they're going to give up. And I think there's going to be a lot less side deals because a lot of teams are going to just be, you know what, for losing a guy anyways, take a guy. It is what it is. We'll protect our seven best. We're not going to help this team out because they're going to come back and destroy us in the regular season if we do. Are, is, is Seattle going to be even better because of these lack of side deals? Like, So think about that for a second. Here's Las Vegas. They got Ryan Suzuki and basically no immediate benefit from the Winnipeg Jets. None. And so if the Winnipeg Jets say, nah, we don't want to give up that, you can just take a pick, uh, take a player. Well, maybe now they get Jack Roslevic. Maybe they get now an up-and-coming really good prospect because the Jets say, mm, no, we don't want to make well, a side deal. At the time, it would have been Toby Enstrom. Uh, if you remember right. him waving his no-move clause specifically so the Jets could only protect three defensemen, kind of help them out in that regard. So it would have been Enstrom gone. But maybe if the Jets were making a side deal, Enstrom wouldn't have waved. Right. And, and so maybe it would have been a pretty so maybe good player, right? player. Um, But I think there's going to be teams that don't want to help this team out any more than they have to. And I'm sp- talking about specifically the nobody teams was, in the West. Nobody was helping Vegas. Nobody thought to themselves, you know, we're going to give them these players to help Vegas. That didn't cross anybody's no, mind. But, they're, not, they're not giving handouts here. But think about how bad it turned out for some of these teams. Well, yeah. And if their player that they lost flourished, or the player that they, especially Florida, trading away Marcia so and another to protect some guys on their team. That made no sense because Marcia so just exploded and they lost two good right. players. So, so if you're taking that risk again, would teams now second guess, am I taking too much of a risk protecting these guys? Should I just lose a guy? And you could argue maybe that benefits Seattle, maybe it doesn't. But I think the Winnipeg Jets are going to have a, a tough decision, probably a tougher decision in two years' time than they had two years ago for the Vegas expansion draft, looking at some of these names of who to protect. Okay, so let's look at that right now. And this segment's getting long, but I think it's interesting to a lot of people. Uh, and it's still a long ways away. And we're going to talk a lot about this once we get closer in that season leading up, whether we're still doing the podcast in two years or who knows. But the 2021 season still a ways away, or I mean 21-22. So there's this season. There's next season, 1920, then the next, 2021, and then the following season, they'll enter, the 21-22 season. So it's still a long ways away. Two and a half years away. Two and a half years away. And then with the lockout in between, who knows? So let's look at the Winnipeg Jets roster. Who are you keeping? Let's go, assuming it's the same rules. So it is the same rules. They have verified that. So you can keep seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or you can keep eight skaters and a goalie. Same rules, doesn't matter. So... For the Winnipeg Jets, I think you have to go 7-3-1. and one. I think that's the you definitely the way to do. So, obviously, the guys you're protecting, you have to protect Shifley. You have to protect Wheeler. You have to protect Line A. You have to protect Ehlers. You have to protect Connor. Five absolute guaranteed... And I heard little, too, because of his contract. It's a requirement. Kind of uh, potentially a no-move, I think, as well, in his final seasons. Might come back yeah. to bite. Have to double check when his no move kicks in or doesn't kick in. I've been hearing guys talk about the fact that Brian Little would have to be protected. Right. So once again, potentially waiving it. Would Seattle want an aging Brian Little on a deal? Do the Winnipeg Jets want an aging Brian Little? But that's another conversation. Well, exactly. So I think if you you try as best you can to leave Brian Little exposed, uh, regardless, I think Shifley Wheeler line at Ehlers Connor, you have to. If you have to do Little, that's your sixth. Okay. Now and you so know we have one more player. You have to pick, in my opinion, between Roslovic and Lowry. Those are your two guys. Mm, pretty much, yep. 
So, best case scenario. Adam Lowry, fun fact, is a free agent at the end uh, of the 21 season. So, going into 21-22, he doesn't have a contract. Uh, Shifley, Ehlers, Wheeler, and Little are all locked up through that season. Uh, Line and Connor don't have deals. They probably will, though, by then. Uh, so Lowry doesn't have a contract. Neither does Rozovic at this moment. So I think you have to protect Lowry right now. I think Rozovic is more replaceable than Adam Lowry is. As of right now, does that change in three years? Very well could. Hopefully, I that means Rozovic's playing better. Best case scenario, you would somehow get Brian Little exposed and you could keep Rozovic and Lowry. I think you can lose any other player and you're fine. Be that Cop, Patan, Tanev, Lemieux, Perot, Perot. You just have to do it that way. You can't protect Pro and Little. Hoping you cannot protect Little is the best case scenario. And see, keep in mind, any other young player really coming onto the team between now and then uh, would be exempt. So Veselainen, we're pretty sure uh, because his uh, contract being bumped one more year on his entry-level deal... Uh, it looks like he would probably be uh, protected automatically because of his age. Any other young player coming in would be uh, protected again because of their age and contract situation. Um, and obviously, if they sign some guys, who knows how the roster can change in two and a half seasons. As we know, we've seen it. Uh, there is often uh, some turnover. But what about this? And this is ballsy. Leaving Blake Wheeler exposed. Because right now, Blake Wheeler, he's 32. Then he'll be 33, 34, he'll be 35 going into that season, making $8.25 million. Is Seattle going to want a 35-year-old Blake Wheeler making over $8 million? You say it's ballsy, but I actually don't think it is. Because in three years' time, if Blake Wheeler is starting his decline, I think you, you do that. And so, and that's that was just my thought that maybe you could keep Roslovic and Lowry because it is because we are projecting so far in the future, and still with Shifley, Ehlers, uh, Line A, Connor, they all still should be, uh, project to be on the upswing and be in their prime. Maybe you leave a 35 year old making 8.25 exposed because I don't think he has a no movement clause. As far as I know, I haven't heard anything about that. He is your captain, but would Seattle even take him? Maybe. But if they do, that's a lot of salary that you then have available and a 35-year-old is off your roster, you get younger. But it's also your captain who's leading the league well, in power play assists. He's up there in points. Right now, yes. But it does that change in three years? And exactly. that's what we have to wait and see. Where We're saying these things now, but a lot could change three years down the road. And so then looking at defense, obviously Morrissey. And who knows how good Niku's going to be. But kind of an interesting one for me is where's Dustin Bufflin in three years? Is Dustin Bufflin, who's 33 right now, in three years, uh, his contract will be, uh, he has two more seasons after this, so he'll be a UFA when Seattle's joining the league. Is Dustin Bufflin a guy you leave exposed on the back end? If Niku's really taken off, maybe you protect Morrissey, Niku, and and I don't honestly don't think Jacob Truba's going to be here then. I think he's basically gone. Right, so I think the defense is easy. Yeah. Because I think you don't have to protect Bufflin because he's old. He's going to be 35, 36, or whatever. So that's fine. Yeah, and you have Truba, a big contract If Jacob hit. Truba's already gone, you don't have to take care of Truba. I think regardless, you have to keep Morrissey. You have to keep Truba if he's around. And then you have to take Niku. And there's your three. And I can lose anybody else. D- agreed. Sharat, Kulikov, Morrow, Pullman, Bufflin. Uh, who knows where Myers is going to be. Uh, I, hey, I can lose Myers, and I'm fine with that. So I think 
as of right now. Yeah, or, maybe we're be, being kind of harsh, but honestly, big contracts like that aren't very desirable so for these new teams. three years on the road, you protect Morrissey, Truba, Niku, and, and you run with that as your top three, and you go from there. Yeah, it could, because we just don't know where these veteran players are going to be. And then goaltending, obviously Hellebuck. I think that's, if he keeps playing like the way he has, who knows what it's going to be like and by if then. He, but if, if he doesn't, what happens if you protect Comrie? Exactly, right? Does Comrie all of a sudden make a push two years from now? You want to shed Hellebuck's salary? Who knows? Exactly. Uh, so there's so much to to figure out between now and then. And obviously, obviously a lot of speculation Three right years now. out is a terrible time to be projecting, but hey, it's fun, and that's why we're doing this. Exactly. So. That's what we do here on the podcast. And so that pretty much covers it for the podcast today. If you want us to talk about anything, hit us up at Jets and Podcast. You've been listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.